Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, if you're visiting today, welcome to Faith Community Bible Church. And I guess it's still not too late to say Merry Christmas to everybody. And we are right on the cusp of saying, you know, Happy New Year. And today, this is the last Sunday of 2023. It's hard to believe I was born in 1962. I'm thinking 2023. Could have ever arrived at 2023. Well, here we are. 42 years old. Yeah. <laughs> 22. Uh, but, you know, rather than approach this next year, this year 2024, from a New Year's resolution perspective, what I thought we might do is just look at it from a New Year's challenge for believers in 2024. So it's kind of like a, a New Year's challenge. Maybe even it's a New Year's refresh. You could probably gather from the scripture passages that we've read this morning and, well, by the title of uh, the message this morning, Three Commandments, that we're dealing with the commandments and, and with love. So that's what we'll be looking at. So these three items, particularly three things that we have from the Lord, three commandments from the Lord Jesus, two of which he repeated from the Old Testament scriptures, love the Lord, love your neighbor, and love one another. So those are the things we're going to touch on this morning. And let's pray first, though. Heavenly Father, as we go before you now, we just pray, Lord, that as we open your word, you would speak to us through your word, and we thank you for your spirit, which indwells the hearts of every believer, which we will, Lord, I pray to pray, will we'll challenge us this morning to consider ourselves before you, before one another, Lord, and before a lost and dying world, that we might be useful to you and would be your servants in everything we do, and do it with love and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first command we're going to look at originates from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And it says, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, this is you know, obviously one of the choicest portions of scriptures to the Jews. And no doubt, which uh, ones of Jesus' day were very familiar with. And even the ones today, the observant religious Jews um, begin their uh, daily liturgy with, uh, it's, you know, they do it religiously, it might say. So it's known as the Shema. And it, goes, it begins with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the New Testament records uh, the Lord Jesus addressing this first and greatest commandment in two different instances, but it's in three different Gospels. And Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12 record the same incident where Jesus responded to a certain scribe who, as it says, had stood up to tempt Jesus. Now, that was kind of a, a foolish thing to do, wasn't it? To try to, you know, outsmart or outwit, you know, the one who wrote the scriptures and the Lord Jesus. I mean, he is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. But it was interesting because it was just after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we know as Palm Sunday, just days before Lazarus having been raised from the dead and that all this had caused you know, great consternation among all the Jewish leaders. And Jesus then now had cleared the temple. And obviously the Jewish leaders were plotting how they might rid the world and themselves of this person, Jesus, who was causing all this trouble. And on this particular occasion, as we look at it in Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12, and you don't have to turn to either one right now, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 12 in just a moment. As he walked through the temple, the chief priest the scribes, the elders, they all you know, sought to debate Jesus. They wanted to pick a fight with him. They wanted to test him. They wanted to, you know, to prove themselves and their own righteousness, as it were. And they were essentially questioning 
Jesus' authority. How do they test him? Well, the Pharisees tested him, you know, with paying tribute to God or to Caesar, right? That was their question. Who, sh who should this tax be given to? It says on the inscription, well, you know, Jesus said, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. And the next one was kind of interesting. That was with the absurdity of, you know, the, the seven dying brothers and the widow that the Sadducees tried to test Jesus with about the resurrection. And what did Jesus say about that? He said, I'm not the God of the dead, but I'm the God of the living. So um, it's interesting because all this you know, began to take place. And as we uh, both described in Matthew and Mark's versions, one of the scribes came perceiving that Jesus had answered them well. So now talk about a judgmental person, right? He's, he was going to tell Jesus, yes, Jesus, you did a good job answering those questions. You did a fine, fine work there. Can you imagine telling Jesus that? Well, this guy had the gall to do that. So he, he came to Jesus, and, but he did. He asked him, though, well, which is the first commandment of all? This is what he asked Jesus. So he's, again, he's testing Jesus with his, his own righteousness. And Jesus answered him. If you want to turn there, it's beginning in Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 29. He said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, what, what could this scribe do? He could do nothing else but agree with Jesus. He could acknowledge him that, yes, you are correct. Well, moving to the different version or a different incident then in Luke chapter uh, 10, if you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at this passage in, in a little bit. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 records a different setting, and it's in a scene that occurs much earlier in Jesus' ministry, where instead of Jesus himself, you know, reciting this great commandment, as we found he did in Matthew and in Mark at that, at that particular point, um, that a certain lawyer stood up again, and this is the same situation where somebody is trying to test Jesus and says to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And just the point of the question makes you wonder, did he really recognize Jesus as a teacher? Or was it just kind of a, you know, like a, a superficial kind of jab at him? But we do know that Jesus had followers, so he had to have a certain bit of respect for him. And you know, we know that Nicodemus did later grow to respect Jesus, right? And Nicodemus was one of the most important uh, of the Jewish leaders, and he called him teacher. But this man then asked about inheriting eternal life. That makes you wonder, was he really serious in his questioning? Was he really serious in asking Jesus, I really want to know? Well, but Jesus turned the tables on this man to kind of reveal the man for what he was. And he, he, he revealed himself by his answer, but Jesus asked, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Why don't you tell me, sir? So the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. We're going to be looking at this uh, idea of the neighbor as yourself in just a moment. But first, we're going to consider this command to love the Lord your God. Now, Jesus said, you know, do these and you will live. The question was, could this man really do that? Could he really follow these commandments? You know, and we're going to ask ourselves, could we follow these commandments? Well, the answer is no. But 
this man in coming forward, he, he put himself out there in a way that maybe he wasn't really prepared for the answer that he got. But Jesus said, do this and you will live. Now, one thing about this commandment to love the Lord your God is that you know, we, we can't ignore the, the Old Testament beginning of this passage as an affirmation of the triune God in its original form in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For example, Henry Morris points out that this great statement concerning Israel's monotheistic faith, the Shema, actually implies what can be described as the uniplural nature of the Godhead, the three-in-one God, three-in-one God, the uniplural nature of God. It's the Trinity, since Elohim is a plural form of the word for God. So this opening declaration amounts to this. It says, Jehovah, our Elohim, is one. Jehovah, our Elohim, is one Jehovah. God, our three-person God, is one God. It's the clarification of the three-in-one God, the Trinity, that we know is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, the important thing for us to consider is what Jesus meant in endorsing this first and greatest commandment to love God. Was one writer puts it, he said, our duty to him should be from a principle of love. So it comes down to this, that we should love God. It's very simple, isn't it? We should love God. But what does this look like? And that may be the question we're going to try to answer. But what does it look like to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, first of all, we need to understand what the word love here means, that as Jesus used it. And now, first of all, we can look at, at love in its noun form, which is agape, a, a word we're probably all familiar with, which implies an unconditional love, a benevolent love, affection, goodwill. But the verb form is what's being used here. The verb form loved is called agapeo. It's a little bit different. Agapeo. And it's love in the same sense as agape, but it's a reverential yet practical love. It's love in action. To love dearly, to be fond of, to welcome. Are there a number of ways that you know we can show our love to God? And you know, we, we only have time, of course, this morning to talk about a few, and we're gonna try to look at that. But one th way of doing this is is just find out and examine what Jesus meant by heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, firstly, Jesus says we need to love God with all our heart. So vines, and a combination of vines and strongs, uh, concordance, describe the heart as the hidden springs of the personal life. This means that our love for God should be a personal, genuine, and sincere love. She uh, a love without any dissimulation, but only in truth. And so it means love not in word, but also in thoughts and our actions, and all our deeds, both inwardly and outwardly. We should love God with all our soul. Now, Vines describes the soul as the seat of personality. That's who we are. That in which there is life. That's us. To that end, we should love God with what one writer calls a superlative love. A superlative love. In other words, we must love God above all else with our person, with all of our mind. This is described as the faculty of thinking 
knowing, and understanding. Thinking, knowing, and understanding. So we should love God with an intelligent love. We should love him with all understanding. We should love him with searching, with seeking, with finding, and discovering, and knowing that there is good cause to love him. And lastly, with all our strength. This is described as the full extent of the power wherewith we are to love God. Let me repeat that. The full extent of the power wherewith we are to love God. This means we should love God with all of our ability to do so. A powerful love. A strong love. He that is our all must have our all. Are we beginning to feel challenged yet? Well, according to the scriptures, the supreme manifestation of love for God is shown how? In keeping his commandments. In keeping his commandments. Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6 says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me, and keep my commandments. John chapter 2, or 2 John, I'm sorry. 2 John 6 says this. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. 1 John 5 verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So the word translated keep here expresses watchful care. Watchful care. It means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard. So that's a pretty intense meaning for keeping, isn't it? So our love to God is also manifested by serving him, by serving God. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says this. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. This is in our interest in it. It's not just in God's interest, but it's in our best interest. Speaking to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul cites an example of the labor of love of the church there, writing, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So this word for labor here, in terms of service, means intense labor, even with toil and trouble. The one who loves God will labor intensely for him, even sacrificially. You know, this will look different from one Christian to the next, but all of us could examine what kind of lives we are living for God in terms of service to him. We could ask ourselves, are we laboring for God? Are we redeeming the time? Are we using the spiritual gifts that God has given us to serve him, to show our love for him? One commentator said this, that it would stand to reason that a life without service to God is suggestive of an absence of love for God. 
love to God manifests itself in a hatred of evil. Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. The man who loves God cannot take sin lightly. Cannot take sin with any favor or any indifference. He hates sin. All sin. There should be no small sin to a lover of God. And love to God manifests itself in not loving the world. 1 John 2, 15, beginning there, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the man who loves God cannot set his affections upon worldly pleasures, all the superficial attractions of the world, all its gratifications, because it says all that is in the world is not of the Father. A lover of God cannot love the world. In short, we should love God with an entire love. And we cannot do this without being in fellowship with him, depending on the power of his Holy Spirit at all times and letting the Holy Spirit empower us and enable us to walk closer with him. Now, the second commandment, which we have touched on briefly already, is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And it says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what the book of James describes as the royal law. So turning back to Luke chapter 10 for Jesus' explanation of what this means, you can look back there if you'd like, chapter 10. Jesus said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Beginning in verse 27. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, that is the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What well, he had to ask, didn't he? Because when they ask these kinds of questions, Jesus will no doubt illustrate the people who are asking the questions in his parables, right? He will target them and point them out. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set on him his, his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took him. Out, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus asked, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. What a charge to keep, huh? 
go and do likewise. So what does this parable of the Good Samaritan tell us? You know, the golden rule comes to mind, doesn't it? Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Do unto others, right? As you would have them do unto you. Romans 13, 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, one thing we can tell from the example of the priest and Levite here is how not to behave, right? How not to behave. Don't do as they did. It's only because they have become as increasingly cold and sterile as they are arrogant in their zeal for their own self-righteousness. They didn't even know what it meant to, to have compassion or to love or to really to fulfill the law. But where the meaning of this parable lies for us is the distinction of this good Samaritan from the others. And by the way, isn't that an oxymoron to the Jews, a good Samaritan? We know that the Jews despise Samaritans, but just think for a moment here. It was the despised one who had fellow feelings. It was the despised one, the Samaritan, who demonstrated humanity to man in this parable. It was the Samaritan who had compassion and mercy when others from whom those qualities might be expected showed them not at all. Jesus was really making a point here, wasn't he, to these wise and learned Jewish leaders. He was hitting them, hitting them hard. But isn't there a universal application from the Good Samaritan parable? This parable transcends time, it transcends age, it transcends generations, ethnicity, cultures, national boundaries, just like the gospel does. And one lesson that the parable teaches us is that the basic humanity we should have for fellow man. We should love and care for the brotherhood of mankind. We should love and care for our fellow man. And the second lesson of this parable is a lesson of having mercy and compassion, not just for others in need, but even for those who may hate us, who may despise us. Which then raises for us a third example of loving our neighbor as ourself. It's self-sacrifice. You think about this example. The Samaritan, he put aside his time. He put aside his plans. He probably put aside his family. We know he put aside his own possessions. He put aside himself. He entered into the world of this wounded soul to aid him. And many scholars think that this man was probably a Jew he was helping in the example. But he entered into the world of this wounded soul. How many people do we know that are wounded and perhaps we have not entered into their world to show them compassion? I'll tell you a quick story. One time we were, um, I was with a friend of mine, we were riding um, down from uh, Big Bear. We had taken the girls up to, for the day. This is when the kids were very little, okay? We had gone up to, to Big Bear to hit the snow for the day, to do some sliding and sledding, right? Because you can't do that. All you can do is go see the big waves in San Diego, but you can't do any sledding or sliding in the winter. So we went up there and 
you know, we started to leave. It was getting dark and it was, you know, kind of raining and misting and coming down the mountain. It actually kind of started to freeze and it was turning cold as it often does up there in Big Bear, right? That's why people go there because the snow and the wet and the cold. And we were, you know, coming around the edge of the mountain. I, it just, I'm not kidding. It looked like everybody from Los Angeles was coming up to Big Bear. I think it was like a Thursday or Friday night or something like that. Because you could see like all the way to Los Angeles, these headlights coming up. That's how crowded it was when we'd swing back around. And then we noticed the traffic coming up the hill started, was really going very slow, very slow. And we observed that there was a car coming up the hill that had actually turned over and was on its side. And my friend who was driving said, we need to stop and help. So I'm telling you, this was a good Samaritan in action because nobody else had stopped. They had just kept climbing up the hill past this car that had been disabled and turned over on the side of the road. Well, you know, I jumped out and followed my friend over there. And sure enough, there was like a child dangling from a car seat. Uh, the stunned driver, the male driver, was out of it, kind of like pacing around like he didn't know what had hit him. He had slipped and turned out somehow in this dangerous spot on this curvy road. You guys ever been to Big Bear? You know what I'm talking about. And the mother was still inside. And I think there must have been at least one other child. So following my friend, but I would go anywhere with him after this incident, okay? We started getting these people, you know, out of the car. And I think it was like through the side hatch or something. And finally, we, we waited while people just kept slowly driving by, driving by, driving by. Finally, the California Department of Forestry came and we, we turned the, the scene over to them, right? So anyway, you know, a friend of us is your pastor. Good Samaritan. Remember that? We have all had opportunities to come to the aid of another, haven't we? The aid of a stranger. Perhaps we held back and maybe, you know, for good reasons, for safety reasons, whatever. We understand those moments. But... Friends, there will be opportunity. There will be opportunity for us again to share our help, to share our ability, to share what we can, to enter into the world of another who needs help. We will have those chances, okay, while we live and breathe. We can do that with, for Tom and Grace right now through prayer, can't we? We can help them. I'm sure Tom has many Good Samaritan examples Tom Manning that, uh, you know, that he could share, but we don't even know about. Usually don't hear or know about those ones, do we? But so, Tom, I hope I didn't embarrass you by telling you that, but. We should especially consider our actions in view of this lesson from the Lord. So. Romans 12 says in verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, you know, in the grand scope, in view of these first two commands we're talking about, there's something else we need to consider before going further. It needs to be made clear to everyone so we all understand that in no way will following these commandments alone earn us anything before God. Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, 
even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Romans says, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Friends, Jesus Christ paid the ransom for our sin with his own precious blood. It is his righteousness, which we appropriate by faith. It's an imputed righteousness, one that is not our own, but his that makes us acceptable to God. In other words, salvation from our sins, that full and free, complete forgiveness and redemption, the pardon, is not through anything that we can do. It's all of grace through faith in the finished work of Christ at the cross. Our payment for our sin, which the wages that we earn is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. First John says this, that this is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. So it's only faith in Jesus Christ that merits us from salvation from our sin. It's faith. And this gospel of salvation, salvation by grace through faith, is available to anyone and everyone to receive it. Every man woman, boy, and girl. We only need to believe. So what's so remarkable then is how God expresses his love for us through his law, through the commandments. Go and do these things. Do these things and live. Well, things we should note here that it is in God's giving the law to us that we can see for ourselves who and what we really are though. For example, the Ten Commandments are known to us, but we really are, are we really able to keep them? The answer is no. Israel certainly couldn't keep them. Even if we try, James 2.10 says that, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And Galatians 3.24 explains it this way, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So God's laws, God's commandments have a purpose beyond just telling us how to live. It brings us to Christ. So what we can imagine also is that by his appealing to us for perfection under his perfect law, God is revealing to us his desire for what, when, where, how, and why he wants us to walk with him. It's not a frivolous thing. You know, it seems like a tall order for believers to keep and to live out these commandments perfectly. And it is. But I certainly can't do it. No one can. But God's standard is perfection, isn't it? It's perfection. First Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So what's so marvelous about God's love for us then is that knowing we could not walk perfectly while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we express our love for God by our obedience to the laws that he gave us, knowing that if and not when 
we fall short, we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what's compelling for us then is that while God expresses his love for us through these commandments, we express our love to him by obeying them. First John 4.19 says that we love him because he first loved us, which reinforces a dynamic scene from the beginning of creation with God as the initiator of the love relationship between God and man. So what he has clearly made known from the beginning and throughout all the scriptures is his anticipation of a reciprocal aspect of that relationship with all men, with all men. The scripture says that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So these commandments should encourage us not just how to live and behave, but also to have a heart for a lost and dying world. There's so many people that are headed to hell because they don't know the Lord. We have a responsibility, don't we? To share the gospel. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 5, 3 says, the Lord's commandments, they're not burdensome. You know, they're not grievous. They're not oppressive. They don't keep us from doing things we enjoy doing. They don't weigh us down. They don't lock us away. Let's think of it the other way. I mean, isn't easier to be compliant or to join in or to fall in when your heart's in it? Simply put, in from the the um, where the Sermon on the Mount says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." So, where is our heart? As believers, the Lord's commandments should always be before us. Go into all the world. Love one another. Love your neighbor. So ultimately, our measure of love for the Savior is evident through the degree of our obedience to the commandments that he gave. And his commandments should guide our behavior as believers. So in closing up, we're going to wrap up with this new commandment that Jesus gave. John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in context, Jesus gave this new commandment in the upper room just before his death. It was immediately after Judas had departed the place, having been handed the piece of bread by Jesus. not irony that it took place then, but his own prophetic familiar friend having turned on him, Jesus calls the remaining disciples to the highest of examples. He says, as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. And this is similar to Jesus giving instructions about service to one another through the object lesson of the foot washing, but this commandment reaches further into the body of Christ, doesn't it? It goes further. It has greater import, especially by what Jesus said next. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever 
I command you. First John 4, 20, verse 21 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So brothers and sisters, love each other. James 2.14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So the point of James chapter 2 here, these verses, is that words are meaningless without action. Love for the brethren is best demonstrated in action, much like we saw in the scripture reading from today. Romans 12, let love be without hypocrisy. Be kindly affectionate. Give preference to one another. Continue steadfastly in prayer for one another. Aid in the meeting the needs of the brethren. Show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those or the household of faith. By this, all will know that we are Christians if we have love for one another. I'm going to close with this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know where I'm going with this. We're familiar with this passage. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, and we just pray, Lord, that we would love. In Jesus' name, amen.